Welcome to the B'nai B'rith International Podcast. I'm CEO Dan Mariashin. Thank you for joining us. We're going to use this space to hold frank and interesting conversations with our experts on staff. We plan on having discussions on our advocacy efforts, our commitment to the nation's seniors, our humanitarian relief work, and on our organization's history. The podcast is a great way to keep up with B'nai B'rith International. If you're new to the on-demand audio format, it's an easy way to stay informed during your commute to work, while you're at the gym, or just tidying up around the house. Now, before we get started, a little bit of housekeeping. Be sure to visit our website, benebrith.org, for more information on the content you hear today. You should also like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter, and keep an eye on all three of those channels for the next episode of the show. Joining me today is my colleague, Cheryl Kempler. She's Director of Curatorial Services here at B'nai International. She's also a features writer for B'nai Magazine. Uh, Cheryl uh, has, in the past, worked for the Metropolitan Opera. Uh, before joining B'nai in 2006, she worked for the Cathedral Choral Society and the Symphonic Choir at the Washington National Cathedral. Cheryl, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Dan. Today we're going to talk about uh, Simon Wolf. Uh, in terms of the history of this organization, Simon Wolf was a, a giant. Uh, he was uh, born in the 1830s. He became a member of B'nai B'rith in 1862. Uh, we're now in our 173rd year. Uh, so, Cheryl, why don't we start with how it got started and then bring in Simon Wolf, who really was not present at the creation, but almost. Well, uh, in, in a fascinating way, B'nai overlaps with American history. Uh, B'nai was formed in New York City at the time that many German Jews were arriving in the United States, and they were all settling down on the Lower East Side. A group of young men, uh, not rich men, but middle class, noticed that the community needed a little support. People came here and they didn't know business protocol. Some of them didn't know English. So they founded an organization, B'nai B'rith, that would reach out to men and help them learn how to be acclimated to American life. And in addition, they would take care of their families in the event of their death or or any kind of accident that would prevent them from working. And this proved very popular from the first lodge in New York, which was called New York Lodge Number 1. Lodges grew all over the country, first in the east and then all the way out to California, to the mining towns of Denver and Nevada. Wherever there were just a few Jews, a lodge was organized. And this was all uh, during the 19th century. We think of the, the great immigration from the 1880s to the 1920s, which largely came from Eastern Europe in terms of the Jewish community. But the early growth of B'nai B'rith really uh, came about as a result of the immigration of German Jews to this country, did Th- it not? That is correct. Uh, many people who know us today uh, do, are not aware of the fact that German Jews were the backbone, and in fact the only members of B'nai B'rith through to about 1900. And their, their, uh, their education, their life, and their belief systems were very different from the immigrants that followed. They were products of the Enlightenment. Some of them had a lot of education. And they believed that assimilation was really the path to American success. So Simon Wolf is a New Yorker? No, actually, he was born in Bavaria. 
but he came to the United States as a young kid, 12 years old, lived in Ohio, and then uh, he, he apprenticed for a while in business, but he was very brilliant, and he read for the law uh, in Ohio and attended law school, and then started uh, opened his own law firm in Ohio, and then quickly decided that to make connections and to become uh, important to the Jewish community, which is something he wanted to be, he had to move to Washington. And there he formed relationships not only with Jewish leaders, but with a succession of presidents, from Lincoln all the way up to President Harding. And this was highly important for both B'nai B'rith and as important to the American Jewish community as a whole. Did he make these connections on the basis of his representing B'nai B'rith? Did he do it on the basis of his representing others? What was... Uh, his uh, motivation in doing well, this. Well, in a typical fashion, like many B'nai B'rith leaders, Wolf was, uh, had his foot in many, many um, affiliations because that's how they identified. So, for example, uh, Wolf was an important leader in the Masons. He was an important leader in German organizations and in other Jewish organizations as well. And so uh, he was, in fact, uh, yes, he, he primarily came to the presidents as leader of B'nai B'rith. That is, that is really the fact. Particularly, this is how he met Lincoln, for example. He came as representing the Washington Lodge of B'nai B'rith, where he served as a leader before he became involved in the national organization of B'nai B'rith. And what would his conversations with President Lincoln or others holding high office have been about? The interesting aspect of Wolf, he was a one of the first people that were very charismatic, and he could talk to people about all things, a lot like our leaders today. Uh, he was able to talk about everything from sports to theater to politics. And with Lincoln, he recounts in his book, he talked about uh, his love for amateur theatricals, which uh, Wolf often, he was involved here in amateur predictions theatricals, particularly in Shakespeare. And Lincoln said to him one day, he quipped, I could do that too. I could play the gravedigger in Hamlet. And he, he said, he said, because I'm a man of infinite jest. And he recounts that in his book. But Wolf was, uh, was, he had very serious dealings with Lincoln, particularly about uh, men who were Jewish, who were serving in the United States uh, uh, Army, working uh, for both the North and the South. And one of the things he came to Lincoln about was about the plight of a young Jewish man who had been uh, fighting for the North, and he deserted because he wanted to see his mother before she died. And when he came back, he was charged with treason and sentenced to death. And Wolfe interceded for the young man, saying to Lincoln, well, if it were you, what would you do? And Lincoln commuted his sentence. He went back to fight, and this young man died a war hero. After the war, what was the next chapter in Simon Wolfe's life? Well, here we come to President Grant and the great dilemma that he faced once he became president. Uh, President Grant was known as perhaps someone who might not have liked the Jews with the issuing of his Order 11, which forbade the, which actually expelled the Jews out of the territories held by the North. Uh, Lincoln, again, changed this order. He rescinded it. And afterwards, Grant regretted this very much. 
So he tried to help the Jewish community from the time he became president on. In fact, he appointed Wolf to a high civic position here in Washington. And then Wolf came to President Grant as a representative of B'nai B'rith after uh, brutalities in Romania became stepped up. Romania was always antipathetic to the Jewish community, but things escalated in the late 1860s. And he came to the president with an idea formulated by B'nai B'rith, and that was to uh, send a consul over to Romania, one of the B'nai B'rith leaders, Benjamin Franklin Peixoto, and in turn, B'nai B'rith would pay for his expenses. And General Grant accepted this idea and sent Peixoto over to Romania, where he became an advocate for the Jewish cause. He, uh, he disseminated education, he formed a owned fraternal lodge there, and he remained there after his term of consulate was up. He remained there for three years and continued to help the Jews there until his return back to the States, where he actually was the first editor of our magazine. Wolf and Peixoto were, were friends on a social basis here in Washington? Uh, actually not. Peixoto was based in um, Ohio. Again, and he was known as a, both a, a lawyer, a writer, which was very important, and a Benebrith leader. And uh, how, the, uh, how they came up with Peixoto as representative is an interesting question. It's not really known, but it looks like it was Peixoto's writing skills and his ability to articulate things and perhaps his own charisma as well. Maybe they thought that he could intercede with the Romanian government better than most people here could. So what you're really saying is this was kind of the origin of, of B'nai B'rith's uh, public policy operations and its advocacy operations, uh, except uh, they were centered in, in one man. Certainly, uh, yes. And in fact, Wolf was known not only as the B'nai B'rith representative, but what, what he was called the spokesman for the American Jewish community. And this was, a big, this was a big deal at the time because there were so few well-known Jewish men most of them were philanthropists, and Wolf was a philanthropist. He was a lawyer, a diplomat, a lecturer, a writer, many, many things. Oh, an amateur theatrical performer, and, and many other things. But Wolf was one of the most well-known uh, Jews in America until his death. What do we know about his family? Well, he, again, he considered himself a well, proud German. He married early, and he had four children. Uh, two boys, two girls. Uh, one of the women became uh, an, an artist. Uh, he he uh, then, after his wife died, when he was living here in Washington, he married again, and he married the niece of uh, one of Benebrith's most foremost presidents, Julius Bien, and uh, he married the, her niece. His niece, her name was Amy Lichtenstein, and she survived him because I believe she was a great deal younger than. And in our archives, we had receipts for the, um, we have very fascinating archives, many documents concerning Simon Wolf. We have receipts for the pension that we sent to Mrs. Wolf uh, right through her death, because Wolf was very concerned that she be taken care of after his death. He had spent all his money on philanthropic causes. He had nothing left for her. Do we know what became of the children? Are there, are there descendants um, today? One of, uh, I I don't know if there are descendants today, but one of his children became an important justice, uh, a, a federal justice in one of the western states.
but I don't know if he had any descendants today. Did Wolf hold positions in B'nai B'rith, leadership positions? He did. Uh, he became, when, when one of our earliest presidents, Leo Levy, died quite early and suddenly, and at that time, this was about 1904, Wolf was an old man. They wanted him to serve as president, but he refused because he uh, felt he was too old and new blood was needed. So he became interim president, and he served for two years before the appointment of the next president. And there he is up on our wall, looking very dapper. What, uh, what is the legacy of Simon Wolf? A- a- in terms of, of B'nai B'rith, and in terms of the broader picture of what he brought to American Jewry at a time of, of increasing immigration, uh, uh, of, of integration into American society, what would you say it is that, um, that he put his mark upon? Well, he was someone who thought of Judaism, I think, this is my conjecture, as a belief system. And one of the most important aspects of Judaism was to fight for social justice. He did this for Jews. He defended Jewish, uh, the canards expressed by many political leaders throughout his career. He wrote extensively about Jewish contributions to American life. He published three books on that. In fact, one of them was about uh, Jewish people who had served as soldiers from the revolution on and had heroic deeds. And so he was kind of the, not only the spokesman and advocate for American Jews, but for many other people. He wrote to the newspapers and wrote essays about uh, African Americans and how they needed to have enhanced civil rights, how we needed to treat them equally. Even during World War I, he kept writing about the fact that they were serving in the military and yet were denied civil rights here. And he, when the immigrants arrived, the second great wave, uh, he, far from disdaining them as a member of the elite, he testified before Congress about the immigrants' law, how that needed immigration needed to be kept open. He, he spoke against what was called the head tax, the money that people had to bring in in order to settle in the United States. He continuously was a presence before the legislature uh, advocating for the open admission of immigration here. Tell me about Simon Wolf and Mark Twain. Well, Mark Twain had sort of been brought to enlightenment over his years as a writer. He began in Missouri as uh, not being quite a fan of the Jews, but when he went to Vienna with his daughter, he learned that they were a people of great erudition who were uh, subject to a great deal of discrimination, and he came back to the States and he wrote an essay defending them on the Jews, but he, he wanted to be he wanted to give free reign to all of his thoughts, and he wrote that he felt that the Jews were not exactly the most patriotic people in the world, and that they shirked in, in terms of servicing their country in the army. And Simon Wolf had just written his book about Jews who were patriots. He sent Twain a copy of the book, and several months later, Twain apologized in writing saying that he was wrong about this, that Wolf had sent him the book and he had learned something. And he said that 
He now knew that Jews were great patriots, had uh, served their country from the revolution on, and had sacrificed much for their life in America. Did uh, Twain and Wolfe maintain a, a correspondence? Did they meet each other? They, there are several letters in the Mark Twain archives between Twain and Wolfe. And when uh, Wolfe had a great big birthday party, uh, his 70th, uh, Twain sent him a lovely note of congratulations. Well, Simon Wolfe, certainly a man way ahead of his time, a great leader of our organization. Uh, Cheryl Kempler, our guest today, Director of Territorial Services, uh, who uh, looks after our archives, has been our guest today. Thank you so much for joining us and for bringing uh, this information now to a, a much wider audience. Uh, thanks again to everybody for joining us on this episode of the B'nai International Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed it just as much as we have. Again, a reminder, please visit our website, B'nai like our Facebook page, follow us on Twitter, tell a friend if you like what you've heard. For my colleague, Cheryl Kempler, I'm Dan Mariashin. We'll talk to you next time on the B'nai International